0: Julie Keyes.
1: Welcome everyone to Poised for Exit, the exit planning podcast show. Today, we have a former corporate HR executive talking with us about her private practice with closely held companies that approaches HR from some fresh strategic angles that focus on the people development side of how best to grow your business. But first, let's hear from our show sponsors, TrustPoint and Sunbelt Business Advisors.
0: TrustPoint will design and manage a 401k plan that fits your company's needs. They handle everything from record keeping and investments to employee education and ongoing administration. And they take on the highest level of fiduciary responsibility to ensure your 401k plan is compliant. You already have plenty to keep you up at night. Your 401k plan should not be one of them. Visit TrustPointInc.com for more details. You wouldn't go deep-sea fishing without a guide or skydive without an instructor. So don't sell your business without a broker. Now is a great time to sell a business. Many are selling at a premium. Contact a business broker at SunbeltMinnesota.com or call Sunbelt Business Advisors at 612-455-0880 and get a free, confidential business valuation so you'll know what your business might be worth. Because selling your business is the biggest financial decision you may ever make. There is a record number of buyers looking for businesses right now. It is a seller's market. You could list, sell, and get more for your business now and start the next successful chapter of your life. Call 612-455-0880 today or visit sunbeltminnesota.com, Minnesota's largest seller of companies. 612-455-0880, sunbeltminnesota.com.
1: Hello, everyone. We are here today with Angela Christman, who is the founder of LiftBridge Strategy, that provides professional services in HR consulting and Strategy Facilitation, and it focuses on people-centered business concepts. I am so excited to talk with you today, Angela. Welcome to Poise for Exit. Thanks so much, Julie. I'm excited to be here. For sure. So I love the whole people-centered business outcomes focus that you have because so many times, especially when we talk to business owners about HR, it's like a big yawn, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they know it's a necessary thing, but they're really not engaged in in everything HR. And we're not here to talk about employment handbooks and job descriptions and all of the things that make people yawn, <laughs> right. right? We're here to talk about how to build business value through working with your people and being people-centered, right? That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. So before we get into that topic, though, I would like to just have you share a bit about your background. Like, how did you get to where you are right now? Yeah, thanks.
2: So I started out um, in grad school for industrial organizational psychology because Mm -hmm. I've always been fascinated by the psychology of work and what motivates people at work. And that led to an internship in the HR space, and my career path sort of led me through the HR ranks from there. I spent a couple of years leading HR for a small company, um, 11 years with Walmart in a variety of talent and cultural leadership roles, HR business partner roles. Um, Then spent almost five years with Marvin in Mm. similar HR leadership spaces Mm. and decided to go out on my own about a year ago and have really been enjoying, enjoying it. Definitely.
1: So what would you say was the difference between working at a publicly held company like Walmart to a privately held company like Marvin family business? So very different in the
2: sense of at a publicly traded company, you're focused on things like quarterly earnings releases and much more focused on not only the long term strategy, but also short term focuses Mm -hmm. in the smaller family owned business. I found we were much more focused on the long-term in the day-to-day and then also just, um, able to move a little bit faster with some things because sure. we were smaller and more right. nimble. Yeah. Um, Walmart certainly ver- moves very
1: fast as well though. So, right. Yeah. I would think, yeah, like you said, l- nimble, and you probably have a little more decision-making power, right? Yes. With The privately held versus publicly traded. Yeah. 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 yeah.
2: yeah. And just from, um, a role standpoint yeah. in a really large organization, Roles are often very large scale, but a little bit narrower in scope. Right. Um, you might have responsibility for one thing, right, mm-hmm. within a business unit. Yeah. In a smaller organization, you just have an opportunity to get more responsibility, play in different parts of the business, those mm-hmm. types of things. It's a lot of fun.
1: Mm-hmm. So what a great background for what you're doing right now. Um, let's talk about best business outcomes when we're thinking about that people-centered side of the work that you do as an HR consultant. Um, and we're going to get into like the nets and bolts of what you do, right? Mm-hmm. Your your primary services, maybe a little bit later in the show. But first I want to just talk about this. Let, like how does that work? What What's your approach? So when you think about
2: people-centered business outcomes we often think of the team, right? And Mm -hmm. employees when we think about being Mm people-centered. I think it's difficult to talk about being a people-centered business without also talking about the customer. Absolutely. And when you think about what your business is trying to drive for the customer and what your business is driving for the team, they should all roll up under the same purpose and values and your brand externally and the way that you show up for customers and your customer experience should match the way that you think about your brand internally and externally for talent and your employee experience. And if they don't match, things can get out of line on one side or Mm -hmm. the other, right? Mm -hmm. So an example that I think of that we've seen a lot in the news lately is Starbucks. So when we think about Starbucks and their history as an employer, we think about things like they were one of the first companies to broadly advertise that they were offering benefits for part-time people, right? Do you remember that? Yeah. And more recently, we've heard a lot of things about unionization at Starbucks and some of the reasons for that, right? And so when you think about their outside brand and the focus on the customer experience, and then how that tied back to the employee experience over time as they got more and more and more customization, for example, what was the impact on the, on the team mm-hmm. and making sure that you're addressing both of those things versus a brand like uh, Patagonia that's really known for um, the way that they take care of employees and such too. And, and Starbucks mm-hmm. is doing a lot of work in that space, mm-hmm. um, but it's just one example or sort of a case study.
1: I really like the balance of both, right, because it doesn't matter how good your people are and how great your culture is if you're not taking care of your customer, yeah, you would think that it would be a foregone conclusion, but it's really not if you're not intentional about it. Maybe it happens like organically or by default, but you know when you're like let let's talk a little bit more about how that intention actually comes to life,
2: yeah, so the way that I think about it is through the organization's purpose, sure. Most organizations exist to have some sort of impact on a customer, on the world, right? And so mm-hmm. if everyone understands that purpose and the role that they play, it also dri- it drives a better experience for employees. It also drives more ownership and accountability. Sure, People are frankly just more inspired around the impact that they can have on a customer or on the world, on a community, whatever the scale might be.
1: Well, so it's really uh, m- more of a top-down mentality, right? It's You're not going to develop these kind of belief systems and behaviors amongst your team if you don't have leaders that are emulating it, right, and and teaching it and, um, you know, having it permeate through everything that they do in their decision-making.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. One of my favorite quotes about culture Um, And I'm sorry, I can't I can't remember who to attribute it to, but it's something to the effect of um, culture isn't defined by your greatest aspiration. It's defined by the lowest level of behavior you tolerate. Mm. And that starts at the top. Right. Mm. Um, I also think that there's a lot um, to be considered around a more bottom up approach to culture, too. We should always be listening to teams and understanding what's on their minds. And working to understand, just as we do for our customers in the business, working to really understand their needs and get closer to the customer, we should always be working to understand the needs of talent and getting closer to talent and understand what those needs are.
1: Okay, so talent, uh, bringing talent in, um, you know, weighing that against the economy and the uncertain times. Uh, let's speak to that, because I think that a lot of business owners really are uh, impacted by the uncertainty yet we got to still continue to grow right and improve and focus on not just the day to day but the vision for you know where we're headed as as an entrepreneurs
2: yeah absolutely and so the way that i think about this is that we should always thinking about we should always be thinking about what are the capabilities that we need to add to the business in order to achieve our strategy
1: Kind of a long-term vision then.
2: Exactly. And of those capabilities, how will we meet them through either outside partnerships, through hiring people as W-2 employees, through maybe hiring people temporarily as contractors to help us to, and through technology also, let's not forget that. That's actually a really big one, right? right? Mm -hmm. So how can we achieve bringing those capabilities into the business hiring someone is is often a default that we go to. It is,
1: isn't it? It mm-hmm. really
2: is. And I think that some of the layoffs that we've seen in the market lately are really about companies hiring and hiring and hiring and hiring almost in this frenzied way. They did. Yeah. And kind of got ahead of their skis. Right. Right. And so what are all of the things that we should be thinking about before we hire someone and almost thinking of it in terms of those gates? Right. And And what are the ways that we design process and that we design roles within the organization and the ways that we think about technology tied to that? It really is a system, right? Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. not just we have a need, let's go hire a person. So that's the first point. Yes. The second point is when it comes to being people-centered, a lot of times people think, well, that sounds expensive, (laughs) right? right. It sounds like it's going to cost more. Mm -hmm. The funny thing is that it often costs less. And that's for a few different reasons. Mm-hmm. One being when you actually understand what the underlying need is and you work to, un- to address the underlying need, you don't spend as much time trying different things that weren't really what the need was anyway, right? So I remember hearing about um, from an HR leader once that they had invested, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars in an mm-hmm. employee recognition program. And it was like, darn, we haven't asked any employees what they think, right? Ugh. So much more expensive than going down the path of gathering employee right. insights and seeing like what is actually meaningful to the people The cart way for before the horse, yeah. Right, <laughs> right. So what's meaningful to people? Do yeah. they want the catalog with the things, with the points, right? Or is right. there something else that would be more valuable? Yeah. And I have another example. So um, I worked with a company on overhauling their benefits approach. And the project actually started as... We don't currently subsidize family premiums. Help us find the money to subsidize family premiums. And there are a couple of different ways to approach that, right? We could go sit in a conference room with a spreadsheet and we could work with the numbers and we could say, oh, I think we can maybe find some money here to subsidize family premiums. What we did, though, was we actually went out and interviewed employees across the organization, about their benefits, but not in the way, what do you think about your benefits? Instead, we asked about their greatest stressors and their greatest aspirations as whole people, not just at work, right? Because Mm -hmm. benefits affect us as whole people, not just who we are at work. Right. And found that the issue is actually something different. And it resulted in us um, adding a new tier, to the employee benefits offering that actually saved money that could then be reinvested into better subsidizing premiums and other offerings. Awesome.
1: Yeah, I think that when you dig a little bit, sometimes you really can come up with that that money that you need to provide the benefit that employees are asking for um, without adding to that expense, which is what we're trying to avoid right now. I think a lot of people are trying to avoid adding expense, but yet still creating a great people-centered experience um, while you're fostering right people in the right seats and best top performance, right? So we don't, we're not making all these nonsensical hires because we think that's the way we've always done it. So that's what we have to do now. We have, right? Um, Exactly. So so like uh, share a couple more uh, examples. I think that it would be helpful for our listeners to um, see a few more ways that you've been able to to make this happen for your clients?
2: Um, Another example that I can think about is related to recognition. And this was at a previous company where we were looking at how to recognize retirements. And a lot of times people think that recognizing retirements needs to be a lavish, expensive gift, right? And Mm -hmm. what we found was that people more valued recognition of the time and accomplishments that they had made throughout their time with the company sure. through storytelling of their coworkers. Wow. And it actually actually we landed on a like a book that people wow. could have a memory book. Oh. Another insight that came out of that work was that Retirement recognition is about the retiree. It's also about the people who've worked with them over the years It is, yeah, and their desire to recognize and acknowledge their
1: colleague. Um, So that was a really cool one. That's a really great idea. You know, when I look back on all the years that I've worked with um, business owners and, you know, there's all kinds of different pieces of research out there that you utilize as a as an advisor to to emphasize and to educate and just learn for yourself, too, right? So uh, I remember numerous times reading the results of different surveys that have been conducted by companies, and what employees are really looking for isn't necessarily a higher wage or a higher salary. They're looking for um, being um, heard, right? They want to know that they matter. And so what you just described is that people were acknowledging the fact that they contributed, and that they matter and that what they did made a difference. Absolutely. At the end of the day, we all want to make an impact.
2: Yeah. And the company that I men- I mentioned earlier that was the uh, benefits project was actually a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. And when we asked people about the things that they valued most about working at the company, it was all around the company purpose. Mm-hmm. And that's what drives, I mean, in a nonprofit, you don't you're not there to make a lot of money, right? right. It's purpose-driven. And everyone at every organization generally wants to feel like they're part of something bigger and that they're making an impact somewhere.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I agree 100%. I think that purpose, and then it it helps you to also hire, right? So when you've got your values and your purpose defined, bringing other people into the organization, if if they're weighed against that, right, and if there's a match, then you know that you're on the right track. But if No matter what their resume says, right, no matter what their skills are, if they're really not a match for your values and your purpose, it's not going to work out.
2: That's right. That's right. (laughs) I also think there are, you know, you mentioned, it's kind of chuckled a little bit when you mentioned employee handbooks that we weren't going to be talking about (laughs) that today. So I'm going to cheat a little bit. All right. So if you focus on your purpose and values as your guide at the company, mm-hmm. how many of the policies in the handbook could just go away? Isn't that the truth? What if we operated under the assumption which, you know, I'll just share, is what I the assumption that I operate under as it happens mm-hmm. that 95 to 98% of people just want to show up to work and do a good job, feel like they're part of something bigger and get along with the people they work with, maybe even be friends? You can just move along the other two to five percent. We don't need to design the work environment around them, right? We should design the work environment around the ninety-five to ninety-eight percent
1: mm.
2: who want to do the right thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's um, that's a mouthful, right there. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, simple but profound. And you're totally right. There are so many policies that are in these handbooks that m- most people will never have to worry about violating or right or even. <laughs> yeah, because right, that they just don't behave that way. But in order for yeah. the owners to to protect themselves and to protect their business, they have to put that out there. Yeah. So when we talk about the most important elements of running these people centered businesses, both on the customer side as well as on the employee side, what are some of the most important things that business owners need to be aware of and start to implement?
2: I think the number one thing. On both the customer side and the employee side and talent in general, right? Not even before they get into your organization is empathy. And by empathy, what I mean is really listening and understanding, being able to put yourself in the shoes of that customer or that talent and to understand what their needs are and how they see the world and the organization empathy is the most foundational thing. The next thing is, I think there is vulnerability that's needed. Mm -hmm. Vulnerability is really important for people to feel good about the work that they're doing and to feel good about their leader. It's also super important for innovation. You have to be willing to take risks and you have to be open to failing and to acknowledge that we're all learning along the way in order to be successful and then I think the last thing is flexibility. We all need to be flip, more flexible in our thinking than we've ever been in the past. Expectations have changed. We all need to challenge our own assumptions mm-hmm. in order to serve both our customers and our teams.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, I When you were talking about so much about it, the empathy and the vulnerability side of things, it just reminded me so much of the... Um, books and, um, and presentations I've listened to with Brene Brene Brown. I don't know if Mm -hmm. people out there have uh, listened to her, but, um, she talks about those components a lot and how important they are and, Mm -hmm. and, um, healing and, you know, managing relationships and having great relationships. And of course, work relationships are relationships, right? Yeah. Customers are relationships. Vendors are relationships. So groovy. All right. So, uh, real quick, I'd like to have you share with our listeners what's it like to work with you? Uh, Tell us a little bit about your process. I've referred some clients to you. They're happy with who you are and what you do um, and the expertise that you bring. So let's spend a little bit on that and then maybe a couple tidbits that people can take away and and start working on themselves.
2: Okay, great. So um, to start with, I would say the first priority is to really understand the business and to understand the client needs. And I work really hard to do that. You know, I talk a lot about being empathetic and really understanding the customer. And I do that with my clients and their teams. I also really like to brainstorm with clients. Mm. A lot of times people have great ideas. They just need a little bit more help, kind of drawing them out and, mm-hmm. and having the courage to take some chances. Clients often have great ideas already. They just need a little help bringing them to the surface and Mm -hmm. um, bringing them to light. And then we always, it's always fun, right? Yeah. That's so, that's such an important part of all of this work.
1: Absolutely. um, And
2: learning together along the way.
1: So do you primarily work with um, the owners of the business or are you working with the leadership team or both? Yeah, it
2: varies. So in larger companies, really large organizations, I tend to work with the CHRO. Because there's an HR leadership team that's looking for partners, and I have a lot of great HR colleagues that I've worked with. Mm -hmm. In smaller businesses, I might work with a head of HR who doesn't yet have a really strategic leadership team Mm -hmm. that they can lean on. And in really small businesses, they might not yet have an HR leader, right? right? right. And so they might need a little bit more help just partnering directly with the business to work through, or they might not have a strategic HR
1: function yet,
2: right? right? And just need a little Mm -hmm. bit of help to sort of augment the HR support they have.
1: Yeah, I think uh, I've noticed that a lot, even with companies that could have someone, it tends to be another person in a leadership role wearing that hat on top of wearing the CFO hat or, you know, the IT hat or what whatever hat they're wearing.
2: Exactly, yeah. exactly. And yeah. sometimes by tapping outside expertise, yeah. you can actually get a more strategic um, partner, yes, in the work. I, um, I agree. Rather than right. permanent hiring, like we talked about earlier, right? Thinking exactly. about when to add capabilities and in what way,
1: right? And doing it intentionally and exactly with yeah, looking at the whole picture. So, two takeaways. What would you say? First is go try something you've been
2: afraid to try. Mm. When it comes to your team or your customer, we talked about vulnerability and innovation. And the second thing I actually took away from, I saw the CEO of the Why speak recently, and I really liked one of the takeaways from his talk. And it was stop asking why and start asking why not. Mm. If you think about when you ask why, a lot of people say, ask why five times. And a lot of, it does kind of help you get to the root. I feel like you can get more quickly to the root by just watching what people do mm-hmm. and asking them some questions that aren't why. Sometimes people get on the defense if you keep asking them why, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like, why, why are you asking me? Am I doing the wrong thing? Is there, is, doesn't it make sense? Like, okay. but asking why not opens people's minds to possibilities mm-hmm. more and helps you to think differently.
1: For sure. Yeah. Reversing mm-hmm. that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. It's good for the brain too, right? It is. Yeah. yeah. It is. Cool. Well, thank you for being on the show. I really appreciate it, Angela. We will have your contact information in the show notes. And thank you so much to our audience for listening, for our followers and subscribers. We really enjoy enjoy and appreciate having you here and join us again next time.